So glad you are here. I believe God is going to move in a really special way. You know, God has been moving in a special way in every service here. Um, I, I always expect God to move, and, and then when God moves in a really unusual way, I'm like aware of that. I'm like, wow, this was really special. And uh, so many people still talk about the last messages I talked about, preached about, but I want to encourage you to stay connected and, uh, and open your heart and see what God wants to say to you. Um, we're in this brand new series called Micro-Influencers of the Bible, and where that comes from is uh, in the social media world, uh, we have what's known as micro-influencers. These are influencers that maybe aren't as well known. And what we're doing is we're looking at Scripture and we're talking about the, the lesser known people that are mentioned in the Bible that you may not be aware of. It's really weird that I'm, I'm, we're in this social media thing. Uh, my, my cousin Matt just pointed out to me, I've been on a social media fast. So I'm not looking at any social media at all right now. I am so out of touch with anything happening. So if you've sent me a message and I haven't responded, that's why. I have no clue. You can say anything you want on my wall, really, because I'm not looking at it at all. But uh, it's, it's been a good thing. But I'm excited about this message, excited about how God is moving. So let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, Lord, we need you desperately, Lord. Uh, we invite your Holy Spirit. I know your Holy Spirit is already here. I've sensed your Holy Spirit here. And um, Holy Spirit, work in every heart. Uh, work in the heart that's tired right now, God. Work in the heart of the person who's watching online, Lord. Maybe they're in their car or in their living room or their bedroom, wherever they're at, God. Would you speak to their hearts, God? Would you work in the heart of, uh, of uh, my own heart here, Lord, as your Holy Spirit works in me and through me? Give me special strength, Lord, just like you did with Elijah, and anoint this message just, just, just like you did with Peter and Philip and so many others, God. Would you have your way? Would you give everyone a word, Lord? That's my prayer, God. I pray that every soul that's watching this or in the house and listening to this, every soul hears a word from you. Lord, you know how I have just, I've just really been marinating in, in the book of Esther this, this week, and it's so rich. And uh, I, uh, I want to be a faithful vessel for you, God. So direct my thoughts and uh, make me eloquent. Um, most of all, God, I pray just to be a vessel for you according to Isaiah 61. Have your way. Transform hearts. Change hearts, God. Do, do the miraculous, Lord, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Mordecai. That's where we're at, Mordecai. So... Um, <clears throat> excited about this message. Hey, so this week, um, incidentally, our ladies just got back from women's retreat, and uh, I want to say welcome to our ladies that are faithfully here on uh, at church, and I know God moved in a really special way, so, so thank you for being a part of that. We were praying for you, and my wife, um, I haven't even, I mean, she's here in church, but I haven't seen her at home, but this afternoon, I was cleaning the house, so that's what I was doing. I was like, I know she's coming back, and uh, cleaning the house and making sure everything is tidy, and uh, you know, it, man, you know what I'm talking about, right? Just go, mm-hmm, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so uh, that's what I was doing. And this week, um, well, these last few days, I, was, I, 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 uh, I went mountain biking, and I used to mountain bike a lot. And I, I hadn't mountain biked in a while, and, and I, got, I found this used bike, so I thought I'm going to go mountain biking. And so I went on this trail out in Superior area, 
And I glanced on it on one of the apps that I, that, I, that, I, uh, that I have, and I actually debated whether or not I should take a bottle of water, and I, I normally wouldn't, and I thought, you know, if Grace was here, she would tell me, you need to take water. So I thought, well, I probably should take water. So I went ahead and got water, and I, I took off, and, and while I was riding this thing, um, I'm riding it for a while, and I'm thinking, well, when is this thing going to end? And I should be about halfway, and I looked at my app, and I realized... I wasn't even halfway, and it was a 14-mile bike ride, and I thought, well, I should be back in like 45 minutes or something like that. I was so off, so off, and at this point, I'm like, you know, I stopped at this bench, and I read my Bible, and I had a great time with the Lord. That's my, I read my daily Bible thing, and I, I read it, and I read my chapter, and I prayed, and, and I was just enjoying it until I saw how far away I was. And now I'm at this point of like, I can't turn back. And, and uh, I, I would feel like I'm defeated if I go back the way I came. Like I just threw in the towel and I would, you know, I just, this is just me. This is just me. So I'm like, I got to keep going now. So I'm going and going and going and, and it's like really far. <laughs> I'm like 14 miles on a mountain bike is a long ways. So, and it's rocky. I mean, it is rocky. It's not smooth gravel. It is just, I'm going through, my arms are shaking, you know, doing, going through rocks and all that stuff. And, um, and I, I have to walk. I'm embarrassed to tell you that like three times I have to walk because it's like this big old incline and I'm down to like this much water and I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing out here? I got other stuff I got to be doing and how did I find it? I'm actually going down at one point and my front tire skids off the road and I go over my handlebars into, into just whatever it is. I don't know what it is. And I got stickers all over my arms and all that stuff and eventually I get back. But have you ever been at a place where you think, how in the world... Did I get there? You know what I mean? How did I get here? I should have been over here. I thought I, was, I thought I should be here, but, but I'm over here. And maybe you're at, you're at that place spiritually or emotionally, or, or maybe you feel like you had an opportunity and you missed your opportunity. And now you're living out on plan B when you should be in plan A. And you're thinking, how in the world did I get to this place? I didn't plan on getting to this place. Why am I here? Anybody experience anything like that? I think all of us have. Maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's a place where you're at spiritually or maybe it's your marriage or, or maybe it was an opportunity that you said no to and you look back and you say, maybe I should have said yes to and you think, how did I get here? That's, that could be a tough place because we can look back at that and we can say, gosh, I have regret. And you could think, well, if I made that decision or if I would have jumped on that flight to get out of here, if I would have jumped on that bus, if I would have, if, then things would be different. I think we can live in a perpetual state of, of, of guilt, remorse, regret. Uh, we can live in that perpetual state thinking that, oh my goodness, I missed my chance. Well, I want you to know you have a God who is sovereign. You have a God who is with you right now. God loves you. God cares about you. He's going to use every turn to the left and to the right, every trail you're on for his glory, for his kingdom. He's a good God, and he's way bigger than our minds can imagine. He has his eye on you. Turn to the person next to you. Just tell them he has his eye on you. 
He has his eye on you and he loves you and things may feel like they might be out of control or you may feel like you're on the edge of, you know, the other side of the world like me, but uh, God is with you. And that's where, as I looked at the book of Esther, that's what struck me. It struck me how God was with this woman named Esther and with this guy named Mordecai. So we're going to look at that a little bit here. Here's some history before we jump into Jump into Ezra, Ezra, Esther. I've been doing that the whole day. I've been calling Esther, Ephesians, and all kinds of stuff. We're in Esther today. Um, so here's the history behind it. So there's, I want to I give you a, a picture of the Babylonian exile a little bit. In 586 BC, the Jews were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. 586 BC. Say that with me. 586 BC, Jews are taken captive. Um, This is Judah. Israel was taken captive by Assyria uh, earlier, but now Judah's taken captive, 586 BC. And when you look at the Israelites, you got to understand this is, these are God's people. I mean, this is a picture of really our relationship with God. They are are his children. And when you look at the life of the Israelites, it's full of ups and downs, just like you you and I, just, it's full of ups and downs and you see God with them. So God uses Babylon as his agent of judgment against Israel and they're exiled because of their sins of idolatry and rebellion against him. So that's why God allows Babylon to come in and take Judah and what was the year? 586 BC. And they now they're living in Babylon and it happened because of their sin. I think God does that still sometimes. It's a loving way. A father loves a child. He disciplines. And sometimes God lets you, you know, go off the road a little bit. And, and there's, he wants you to come to your senses. He wants you to turn to him. So he allows circumstances to become difficult because he wants you to turn to him. When we're desperate, we seek him, right? When we're desperate, we seek him. And that's what happened. So they go into exile. And in 537 BC, the Jews are allowed uh, to go back to, Ju- to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And, and they were there for 70 years, 70, say 70 with me, 70 years in Babylon. And now they're going back to Jerusalem. This is like a good thing. They're like, we're going back home. We're going to do church like we used to back in the good old days. The systems of sacrifices and offerings are going to all come back. And we're going back for 70 years. You know, this is our punishment for our sin. And incidentally, it's about a 900-mile trip from Babylon to Jerusalem. 900 miles. So if you're walking it or trekking it, it's about four months to get there, okay? About four months. Now, now, now you have the book of Esther. The book of Esther is found right after the book of Nehemiah. And, and that's significant because there are 10 chapters in the book of Esther. 10 chapters. And it really covers a period of about 10 years, the book of Esther. And this one. Now, what's interesting about this book is nowhere in this book do you ever find the name God. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. Prayer is not mentioned in this book. In fact, the New Testament doesn't quote Esther at all in the New Testament. But what you do find in those 10 chapters in the book of Esther is you find God's fingerprints all over that beautiful book, all over it. The events cover about 10 years. We don't know who wrote the book. Some scholars believe it was Mordecai. Others believe it was Ezra. We just really don't know. So you have about 50,000 Jews going back to Jerusalem, and they go back in three different, three, uh, three different uh, journeys or exoduses uh, back to Jerusalem. They're going there. Now, here's the interesting part. They spent 70 years in Babylon because of their sin. 
70 years. And God moves in the heart of the king of Persia and says, okay, you can go ahead and go, and go on back. What's crazy is there are some Jews, many Jews, that are living in Babylon. And you know what they're thinking? You know, guys, it's not too bad. It's not, it's not so hard living in Babylon. Let's not go back. Let's not go back. Let's just stay in Babylon. So you have approximately just under 50,000 Jews heading back. And they go back in, th- in droves, in three droves. But, but you have a large group of Jews that say, let's just stay here in Persia, pagan territory. We eat pretty good here. It's comfortable. I like my neighbors. Plan B is not so bad. I think, I just want to camp there a little bit because I think we can get to this place where we almost give up. We give up on maybe that first dream or that whatever God's will. We think maybe, maybe it's not so bad and, and, and we say we'll just live in plan B. So the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that documents Jews living in Babylon after they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. It's the only book that records these Jews living in Persia. And it, it, you know, like God is moving over here and a wall is being built. And I mean, God, there's a lot of energy and momentum and exciting things happening over here. I don't know why this is where Jerusalem is at, but <laughs> there's all this stuff. And over here in Babylon, you have all these Jews. But what's beautiful about it is you have God over here and you also have God over here. And God cares about both. God cares about the Israelites who are coming back, and God cares about the Israelites who said, I think I'll stay in Babylon. Do you realize you have a God who is patient with you? He loves you. His patience is greater than your patience. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad he's, he's, he's full of unfailing love, and he doesn't get angry like us, like you, like me? So this, this, this whole thing, what's also interesting about this book of Esther, um, when you look at it, is sacrifices and offerings are not mentioned in the book of Esther. So many Bible scholars believe that the Jews that stayed behind, these guys over here that stayed behind, they're actually, they're actually shunning their responsibility to return to their homeland. They're shunning their responsibility. And they're, they're literally disobeying God by saying, we're not going to go back to our homeland. They're literally disobeying God. So let's jump into this, guys. Esther chapter 1, verse 1. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. So there's this king. Incidentally, this king is a bit of a mystery. Uh, he's not mentioned in any other books. He's hard to find in any secular historical books. Um, we know he existed. What little bit we know was he had the summer place in Susa, which is kind of the capital of Persia. He was known for his drinking, lavish banquets, harsh temper, and his sexual appetite. That's what he was known for. I'm not even going to ask men if anybody could identify that. We'll just keep going. Um, <laughs> chapter one, he gives this big old banquet, like a huge banquet, and it's just a party. 
It's just a gigantic party. I mean, every day he's partying, 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 and all these. That's what he likes to do. And, and, and he does this thing. At the last day of the party, he says, all right, bring out the queen. And, you know, the queen Vashti is her name. And she comes out, and apparently she was a beautiful queen, and he just wanted her to parade in front of everyone else. He just wanted everyone to admire her beauty. Well, Queen Vashti says, uh-uh, you know, <clears throat> I have feelings, you know, I don't know what she said, but anyway, she's like, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, no way. Well, so she, res- she resists the king, and the king says, okay, what should I do, guys? What should I do? He asks the advisors, what should I do? And the advisors say, look, if you don't, if you don't, you know, if you don't, you know, basically kick her out, depose her as queen, then you'll have women all over the country that are going to rebel against her husbands. So he said, that's a good idea. So she's done. Give me the crown. She is done. She's no longer the queen. And that's what happens. And then when you keep reading this book, it becomes like a TV, you know, what is it? The bachelor party. It becomes like the bachelor party because he has all these women around him all of a sudden. And he's just like, you know, I'm going to interview. It's really more, it's really kind of a sad thing, but that's what happens. Verse five says this. At the time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai. Say Mordecai with me. There he is, son of Jair. He was the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish Shamil. His family had been among those who the king, King Jehoiakim of Judah had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin. So Mordecai has a cousin, Hadasha, who was also called Esther. So Mordecai and Esther, there's cousins somehow, they're cousins. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Isn't that beautiful? So you, you, could, you could like not have a, a kid, but you could love on a family member kid, a niece, and you can be a big influence in their life. You don't have to have a son or a daughter. You could be a surrogate, uncle or aunt. You could love on someone and make a difference in their life. Mordecai isn't father by choice. Um, his wife is never mentioned at all. Mordecai's wife. We know he lived about 500 years before Jesus. 500 years before Jesus, and he's a type of Christ in some ways. Verse 10 says this. Esther, this is chapter 2, verse 10. Esther had not, not, not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. So you should know Esther wins the contest. Like she's the most beautiful one. And, and, and King Xerxes says, I like you. And he, he goes ahead and, and he picks her. Every day, Mordecai would walk, uh, take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. There's a real mark that someone cares for someone. You know someone cares for you when they call you, when they text you, when they ask you, how was your day? When they visit with you. Don't you know someone cares about you? When, when they pay, talk to you, when you get that kind of attention, when someone doesn't call you or text you or visit you, you know, how, how, you, know, you, you know what that relationship looks like. But it always means something, doesn't it? When you get that person reaching out to you and say, hey, I just want to see how you're doing. I'm just checking up on you. And that's what Mordecai did with Esther. L- listen to this. I just wanted to let you know about, the, about these women. Verse 12, when he was picking out a woman, he says this, before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, 
She was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatment, six months with oil and myrrh, followed by six months in special perfumes and ointments. Wow. We'll just move on. All right, God puts, <laughs> I want you to hear this. So Mordecai becomes a palace official. Okay, Mordecai becomes a palace official, and that's significant. He's working in the palace, and I want you to hear this. God puts people in strategic positions for a greater purpose. It's not by accident you're here right now in church or watching online. It's not by accident where you work or where you go to school or that walk that you're on or that casual encounter that you have. Sometimes God has a greater purpose. And the question is, do you recognize your purpose? It may seem meaningless, but there's a great purpose behind this. Then you read something in Esther chapter 2, verse 21. It says, one day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. There she is. So she's royalty now. She's a queen. But Mordecai and Esther still have a great love and respect for each other. And, and, and really, Mordecai's like her father in, in many ways. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled ouch, on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. So I want you to recognize something because when you look at this story with Mordecai, you see God using circumstances and events and timing. Don't forget this story. Mordecai saves the king's life. It just so happens Mordecai overhears what's happening. He overhears this assassination attempt. It just so happened. He was within distance where he could hear everything. And it just so happened his niece or his cousin, Esther, is, in, in, is the queen. And it just so happens he shares it and then and they find it to be true. And he saves the king. There, there's another character in this whole story. His name is Haman, Esther chapter 3. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Now, here's another example. You don't really see like uh, what's happening here. But she could assume Mordecai, he, he, he's been in church. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of you, you've been in church. Now you might be watching online, you've been in church. So there are certain things that you just know. And Mordecai, somewhere in his Jewish training, he's learned, you know what? You only bow down to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you bow down, I, I want you to hear this. What you, don't, what you don't bow down to is just as important as what you bow down to. What you don't bow down to is just as important as what you bow down to. Mordecai saw this guy, Haman, and said, I'm not going to bow down to this guy. I think we have to be careful because we can bow down. We could bow down to the wrong things or the wrong people. God wants us to bow down to him only. He alone is God. 
Jesus alone is God. <laughs> he alone deserves our worship and our praise. And we could bow down to all kinds of stuff. We could bow down to money. We could bow down to, to lust. <laughs> we could bow down to sex. We could bow down to success or a company, a business, whatever it is. You can bow down to a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, and you can actually put them, that's essentially what you're doing, is you're putting them above your relationship with God. Don't do that. What you don't bow down to is just as important as what you bow down to. Mordecai lives in Babylon. He's a Jew. Haman becomes incredibly angry because Mordecai will not bow down to him. It's a message for us, church. Romans chapter 12 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So many of us want to know what God's will for our life. But we, we refuse to become living sacrifices to God. We refuse to totally surrender to God. When you surrender to God, your life looks different. Verse chapter 4 tells us a little about how Mordecai, he hears about this horrible thing that happened, and he hears about Haman, and, and how Haman is just angry. Haman does a crazy thing. Haman says, you know what, because Mordecai, he finds out he's a Jew. He then says, okay, we're going to kill all the Jews in all the land of Persia. We're going to kill every single Jew, and they actually set a date and they say, let's have it done. Let's do it in one year, approximately one year. So Mordecai hears about this horrible plot to kill the Jews. I can't help but to wonder, he might feel a little partially responsible because he didn't want to bow down to, to Haman. So he hears about this, and this is how he responds. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter Wail, cries. What's interesting, and when he when he when he cries out to God, is you don't hear like God answer him. You don't see that in this chapter at all. But you can be sure, God hears your prayers. You could be sure God hears your prayers. Just last week, uh, we had one of our college students actually visiting us. Uh, she was in her college break, and 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 I've known this young woman for a very very long time, and she shared. She lives up in Fort Collins. She's going to school up there. And uh, she's always been, she's, she just loves her dad very much. Loves her dad very much. And she prays for her dad to, to go to church. She wants her dad to know Jesus Christ at a life-changing level. That's what she wants. And, and, uh, and so she prays and prays and prays. So she, she was meeting with one of the pastors at the church that she goes to up in Fort Collins. And she was telling this, this woman pastor about her desire to see her dad come to know uh, church and Jesus and just experience the love of God. So they pray together. And her dad happens to be working in Fort Collins, and he happens to be, he does construction. That's what he does. He does construction. So he happened to be up there working, and she lives up there. So he called her up and said, hey, do you want to bring me lunch? 
And she said, sure, Dad, I'll go ahead and bring you lunch. She said, okay, I'm at such and such job site or whatever, go ahead and bring me lunch. So she gets lunch. She heads on over there. And as she's driving over there to the, the job site, she's recognizing what this place looks like. And then she shows up and she realizes her dad is working at the church that she attends. Yeah, you missed it. Her dad is working at the church that she attends. Do you see how beautiful God is? God can do anything he wants. She shows up and she says, Dad, do you realize where you're at? This is my church. And he said, oh, yeah, I know that. I know so much. And for her, it was a reminder that God hears our prayers. Sometimes you pray and you're like, I don't see anything happening. And you worry and you stress and you're anxious and you think, well, nothing must be happening. But God hears your prayers and he knows the desires of your heart. God's working even when you don't see him working. You, can be, you could be confident of that. Mordecai says this prayer, really, I mean, that's what it is. He doesn't use the word prayer, but he's fasting in burlap, at burlap and he's just really, really humbling himself. But nothing's happening. And when you, when you see this, verse 10, eventually what happens, he goes to the, to the queen who is, you know, his cousin there. Then Esther, he tells Esther about the problem and explains the situation to her. And here's what it says. Then Esther told uh, Hathak to go back and, and relay this message to Mordecai. So, so she hears about the problem. She hears about Mordecai and what he's going through. She hears about the decree to kill all these Jews. And verse 11 says, all the king's officials and even the people in the province know, this is Esther, that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. So look at Esther's first response. Look at her first response. Mordecai shows up and says, Esther, this is what's happened. This is, this is, this is a problem. People are going to die in a year. Every Jew, all your cousins and every, I mean, we're all going to die. And Esther's response is, you know what, not just anybody can go. There has to be a special invite to go. And I really, the only, you have to be called by the king to show up. She doesn't say, I'll, I'll take care of this. She doesn't say, I'll fix this. She doesn't say, I'll go ahead and go, I'll go. Be, she doesn't say that. Right now, all she's thinking about is her own welfare. And I look at this attitude and I want to just, camp out here just for a little bit because I think we can all be guilty of this same attitude. We can all be guilty of this same attitude. It's that attitude of if I don't have problems in my life, I really don't want your problems. I really don't. If I don't have needs in my life right now, I really don't care a whole lot about your needs. If I'm honest with you, if things are going well for me, you know, I'm sorry, things aren't going well for you, but can you just keep your distance from me? You know what I'm saying? If, if I'm doing okay and you're not doing okay, how about if I pray for you? Is that okay? I don't want to get into your life. I don't want to get dirty. I don't, wanna, I, don't want, I don't want you to disrupt my life. I'm comfortable. Don't ask me to do anything. 
What's the minimum I can do to show you that I care for you, that God would be pleased, that wouldn't be inconvenient for me? That's what I want to do. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Don't disrupt my life. Truthfully, I only care about myself. She's living in the palace. Things are going well. I'm really sad all this has happened, Mordecai, but you need to work on another option. Don't come over here to me. Move along, move along. And look at Mordecai's response. Mordecai centered this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. Sometimes we need someone to speak truth into our life. You know what I'm saying? That's hard for some of us. If you, if you don't feel like you, you need to grow anymore, that's really hard for you. If you don't have a teachable spirit, that's really hard for you. If you're not humble, that's really hard for you. If you're full of stubbornness and pride, that's really hard for you. But sometimes we need someone to look at us in the eyes and speak the truth. And the question is, what will you do with that? When someone speaks truth to you and talks about your attitude, your character, your countenance, your tone of voice, your lack of kindness, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Esther hears that from, from Mordecai, and, and, and something happens here. And then he says this famous verse. This is like the most famous verse in the entire book of Esther. And here it is. Here's what Mordecai says. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Isn't that good? He just like planted this thought that said, you know what? Maybe this wasn't all about you. Maybe the universe doesn't you know, go around you. Maybe you're in this position because God knew one day, one day, you would be instrumental. It just happened to be that she was the queen at this time and, and King Xerxes just loves her. And Mordecai is saying, look, sweetheart, my niece, I got, you have to understand something here. This is not happening by accident. And you're not in this position by accident. Stop being self-centered. Stop being self-centered. And there's something that happens here, guys. And this is, there's a, there's a problem, a challenge. Um, uh, verse 14, the first thing he says, he says, if you keep quiet at a time like this. Do you catch that? If you keep quiet at a time like this. See, there's times that you need to speak up. It requires courage to say the right thing. Now, I'm not talking about speaking up so that you could argue. That's easy. That's just pride. That's arrogance. I'm talking about speaking up so that you can help that other person grow in Christ Jesus. That's a different type of speak up. 
speaking up to help that person become more godly, more righteous, to live an honoring life before God. Not speaking up to argue. That's a whole different thing. That's T-ball. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about speaking up to help someone be a better person. Speaking up. Silence. Sometimes people view themselves and say, oh, I speak up, I speak up, but you're silent when you should be speaking up. And you're speaking up when you should be silent. That's good. I should say that again. Oh, that was good. Sometimes you speak up when you should be silent. And you should be silent. Did I say that right? I didn't say that right. <laughs> See, I just came. There was a moment right here. I just came. Sometimes you should speak up when you're silent, but you're silent when you should be speaking up. Praise Jesus. The Lord uses me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Have you ever met someone who's, who, who, who sees themselves as, as someone of great courage that speaks up and they view themselves that way, but in all the key moments when they should be speaking up, they're silent. And then you're like, I thought you had my back. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree. Well, why didn't you agree with me out loud? Why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say something? I needed you then. Why didn't you speak up? If you keep quiet at a time like this. See, we could become in love with our comfort. You know what I'm saying? We can fall in love. We can worship comfort and even protect our comfort, our lifestyle. A season of comfort can make you insensitive to the needs of others. You hear that? When things are going well, praise the Lord. But you know there's different seasons in life. The early church, what they would do is when, when, when someone was, was doing great, they would help out those who were not doing great. And then when they go through different seasons and then they're doing better, they turn back and say, okay, I'm going to help you out. When you're full of joy and life is great, praise the Lord and reach out to a brother or sister that's down and help them out. Don't become self-centered. You see these moments, and I believe all of us have moments in life. Moments that matter to God. Moments that impact others, not just ourselves. Moments that matter in heaven. Moments that put our life or someone else's life in a new trajectory. Do you know what those moments look like? Have you ever had any of those moments? Turn to someone and tell them, don't miss your moment. Can you do that? Type it out online, don't miss your moment. You know what moments I'm talking about? It's that moment where you have a chance to pour into someone. You have a chance to encourage someone. You have a chance to lift someone up. And you miss it. You let it pass by. You know what I'm talking about? I get to serve God. Oh, I'm there, baby. I am there. I get, to, I get to help someone out. I get to love on a child. I get to love on another woman or a man or whatever. I get to love and pour myself into someone. I am there. Truth is, many of the things that we value don't matter in the eyes of God. Really don't. God loves people. And anytime you love on another person, it pleases God. Don't miss your moment. When you have an opportunity to encourage someone, encourage them. Lift them up. When you have an opportunity to worship, to give, serve, love, do it. Here's our problem. 
we don't recognize our moments, and maybe it's because we're crowded by the chaos of our life. We get so busy, we get so busy, and we might just get stressed, and when we have a moment, we don't look at it as an opportunity, we look at it as an interruption. It's not an opportunity, it's an interruption. It's not an opportunity, it's inconvenient. I'm sorry there's that need, but I'm, I just can't. I'm sorry, yeah, I don't have time to encourage you. We've been all guilty of this. Someone needs some love and you're in an op- you have a position to encourage them. And sometimes we're like, listen, brother, I got like 30 seconds to encourage you because I'm so busy. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna tell you, okay, everything's going to be all right. You're going to be good again. I got to go. I got to go. I'm sorry. I got to go. And they're still down. Just apprehend. Get a hold of those moments that God gives you because you can put that life on a new trajectory and you could be part of the work of the Spirit of God. Because God's working on that soul and you can actually partner with the Spirit of God and come alongside them and love on them in such a special way. Don't let that moment pass you by. Something happens between verses 14 and 15. Because you read this and Esther's like, well, I ain't going to go over there. You know, I got to have that gold scepter thing and life is good. You want some champagne? I can't help you out, you know, kind of thing. But something happens. Verse 15 says this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. So she's had some time to think about it. We don't know how much time, but here's a reply. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Sounds like prayer to me. Do not eat or drink for three days. Sounds like fasting, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And, and then, though it is against the law, do you look at this, courage. I will go in to see the king. And here's the famous quote she says. If I must die... I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Famous thing. Esther says, if I must die, I must die. Wow. What happened? How did Esther go from I won't say anything to I must speak up? How did she go from I can't do anything to I'm willing to lose everything. How does she go from go and die to if I must die, I must die? What happened? Oh, pay attention to this, this shift right here because most, most of us just stay on that other side. How did she go from it's your problem to I'm willing to die for this, it's my problem? How did, how did that happen? I want you to hear this. God can change any heart. God can change any heart. There's no heart that's too difficult for God. You might have someone in your life that just loves to argue and you think there's no hope for that person. I want you to know God can change any heart. You might have a boss that you think is is like texting the devil every day, their friends or something. And I want you to know God can change any heart. You might have a friend that's so far and all they do is party hard every day and sleep around. I want you to know God can change any heart. You might have a husband or a wife that's so far right now. God can change any heart. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing's impossible for God. I love what Jesus said. 
Esther said, if I must die, I must die. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, then calling the crowds to join his disciples, he said, if anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Oh, did you hear that? Give up your own way. Take up your cross. What, what do you do with the cross? What, what, I mean, during the, this is what you do. You die, right? And follow me. This is like the recipe to purpose in life. This is the recipe to be a Christian. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. You see that? You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The key to happiness, the key to fulfilling God's purpose for your life, it's actually, it's actually giving up your own way, and it's actually losing your life. It's actually dying to yourself and following him. Hear this. Real change happens when you die to yourself and live for Jesus. In fact, I will tell you this. Anytime you see someone with pride in their heart, they are the center of their life. Anytime you see someone who's argumentative, I just want you to know they haven't died to themselves yet. Because when someone truly dies to themselves, it's not about their wishes or their opinion or their desire. And you know what? Christians can call themselves Christians and not die to themselves. Absolutely. You can go to church and not die to yourself. Have you seen dead people? I mean, like dead people, like in Christ Jesus, dead people. Have you seen dead people like that? Have you looked at the way they look? You know what I mean? They, they're different. They're just different. You know, dead people will, will talk to you about your life, and they want to hear about your story. They want to hear about your day. They want to hear what's going on with you. And dead people are okay with you never asking them, so, oh, what about you? How are you? They're okay because it's not about them. Dead people see the bigger vision, the bigger goal. Dead people love people. They love God. They care about things that matter to God. It's not about them. Those are dead people. Those are dead people. Here's the big question. Could Esther have gotten to this place without Mordecai? Could she have like arrived to this conclusion? If I must die, I must die. I mean, could she have gotten there without Mordecai? Mordecai, it wasn't about him trying to show her that he was right and she was wrong. That wasn't the spirit behind Mordecai. You understand? The spirit behind Mordecai was, look, God is over all of us, and God has a big plan. His advice was centered around God's purpose. That's different. That's different. It wasn't, it wasn't I'm right, you're right, whatever. It wasn't that kind of thing. You see this all happen, and while God's working on this plan with, with Mordecai and Esther, and this whole thing is going on, and God's changing Esther's heart, when you keep reading this story, you find out about Haman, and Haman is still not done with being angry about Mordecai, and it's so bad, he is now thinking about killing Mordecai. He talks to his wife, hello, 
talks to his friends, all of his social media friends, and they all say, Haman, you deserve to be bowed down to. Big surprise, right? All of his Facebook friends, all of his Instagram friends agree with him. Big surprise. And his wife says, mm-hmm, you don't deserve that, honey. Mm-hmm, baby, you, do, you, you don't, the baby, mm-hmm. And Haman starts thinking, you know what? I think my wife and my friends are right. I think they're right. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. Pay attention to the spirit behind the advice. This is so good. I'm, we're going a little bit deeper. Pay attention to the spirit behind the advice. Haman got terrible advice because it came from a terrible spirit. And you have to pay attention about that spirit behind that advice. A bitter spirit will give you unforgiving advice. An angry spirit will give you vengeful advice. Pay attention to the spirit. A fearful spirit will give you fearful advice. Some of you are laying down, or you're picking up what I'm putting down, but this is so good, guys. You pay attention to the spirit behind the advice. Consider the source. That's another way to say it. Consider the source. Think about where they're at. If they're, if they're spending time with, with Jesus and, and they are, they, they've died to themselves and they're living for Christ and there's fruit that shows evidence of their repentance and their obedience to God, you better listen to them. You better listen to them because of the proximity of their relationship with God. But if you run across someone else and they're not living that kind of life and they're self-centered and that's just kind of where they're at, well, you know what? Don't, don't, you don't have to listen to everything he's saying. Well, look what happens here. In Esther chapter 6. says, That night the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. This is so weird. So weird. So king, th- this king, he has a hard time sleeping at night. Have you, has that ever been you before? Like, you just have a hard time sleeping? He has a hard time sleeping at night. So someone... Put something in his mind and says, hey, why don't you go ahead and read that history book about all the kings and all the things that have happened. And he's like, all right, I'll go and do that. And he does all on his own. And he reads this book of history. And in verse two says, in those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who had guarded the door of the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. So it's there where he discovers, hey, One day, Mordecai saved the life of the king. He discovers it. It just so happens he can't sleep. Look how big God is. God directs him to this book. God directs him to the paragraph. And he reads this and he discovers, oh my word, Mordecai saved saved my life one day. I had no idea. So then he calls into, yeah, you got to read the rest of Esther chapter six, guys. He calls in, he, he says, hey, hey, is this true? And they say, yeah, 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 this is true. And he says, well, well, go out and, and see if there's someone out there. And he comes in and, 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 and he talks to Haman and he says, hey, Haman, well, what should a king do to honor someone? And Haman is so full of himself. 
He's thinking, well, that's really nice of you to think like that. And he says, you should just let him ride your horse and put the royal emblem on his head and let the robes and horses be handed out and, and everyone should honor him. And that's what you should do. And, and, and then Haman's thinking, okay, now it's, it, I get, you know, I'm, I'm it's just full of himself. And then, and then you see the king, he says, that's a great idea. Go get Mordecai. He's like, what? I thought we were, t- I thought we were talking about me. I'm, I'm all that. Go get Mordecai. So he, literally, the king follows Haman's advice on how to honor someone. And that advice is given to Mordecai. He's the one who's honored. And you see God work. And in, this, in Esther chapter 7, the plot is revealed. Verse 6, Esther replies, The wicked Haman is our adversary, and our enemy Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. All of a sudden, you know, he, remember his wife and his friends said, Hey, you should put this giant pole there and, and kill you know, Mordecai because that's what he deserves. So he follows that advice, and, and then he, he, the, you know, the, the king finds out everything. The king finds out what Haman's plot was to kill the Jews. He finds out what he's doing to Mordecai. He finds out that, that Haman has not been faithful. And he says, you know what? That big old pole that Haman built to kill Mordecai, kill Haman on that. And that's how Haman loses his life. By his own hands, his own friends that set this thing up. And when you keep reading, guess who later on becomes, the end of the story, who becomes the prime minister of this entire region, it's Mordecai. He becomes it. When you see this story, you see Mordecai. Could Esther have been Esther without Mordecai? Would she have been written in the books? Who are you? Are you a Mordecai or an Esther or a Haman? Have you had a Haman in your life? You know what Hamans do? They talk about you behind your back. They want to see ruining come to your life. They want to see harm come to your life. They want to see that. But we have a God who hears everything behind closed doors. Right? We have a God who sees everything and hears everything. I don't know where you're at, but I just want you to know you can turn to God right now with all of your heart. Some of you, you need to die to yourself. You will not experience true transformation until you die to yourself. Completely surrender yourself to him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, uh, thank you for Mordecai. And if you're ready to do this, would you just say this? Say, Jesus, I first want to ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Right now, I choose to become a Christian. Forgive me for my sins. Others of you might need to say this. God, help me to speak when I need to speak. And help me to be quiet. (laughs) when I need to be quiet. Help me, Lord. God, would you just continue to have your way here, Lord? Move here in a powerful way. May we uh, be more like Mordecai's. May we stop and love on someone. May we not miss our moments. And may you, Jesus, be glorified in us and through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, church, we have a communion that we're doing here. And uh, uh, communion is such a special time. This is a, a practice that has been going on for 2,000 years in the church, the early church, since the time when 
when Christians come together and uh, they go to this table and they take bread and they take juice, which represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And every time a Christian does this, we are confessing that Jesus is Lord. We are confessing that Jesus is Lord. So really, when you go to the table of communion, it's an act of declaration. It's an act of confession. It's also an act of repentance. If you need to get right with God, get right with God first. We actually have altars here, and you can, you can humble yourself wherever you're at, whether you're watching online. But get right with God first, and then take communion. So it's also, it's also this, this belief, it's this belief that we believe Jesus Christ, he, he was buried and he was buried for three days. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose after three days and we believe he will return again one day. And this is our hope. And we don't know when, but we live every day with our lamps burning. <laughs> We live with our lamps burning, knowing that we are just passing through. And we are citizens of heaven. And when we take communion, we acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. We acknowledge that he is our God. And we acknowledge he died for our sins. And we acknowledge that one day he's going to come back again. And we live like that, with that expectation. So that's what communion is. If you're not right with God, if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're at church. I'm so glad you're watching online. But please do not take communion. Don't do that. You'll bring judgment on yourself is what Paul says in, to the church of Corinth. Don't do that. But right where you're watching online, you can also take communion. You can find bread or juice, even water. And, and you, can, you can go through that act as well, right where you're at, at home or wherever you're at. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us on that cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for going to the grave and conquering hell, conquering the devil. Thank you for rising from the grave. Thank you for the victory that we have. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to us. And we look forward to your return. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.